message this morning, a true story about a woman named Sarah Harmeyer. Sarah was a young, upwardly mobile professional who was looking for validation and approval in all the wrong places. Uh, she was running herself ragged, chasing everything shiny. In 2011, she made a move to Dallas, and at that point, a friend set her down one day and said, Sarah, uh, this, is not, this is not working. You're, going, you're a train wreck waiting to happen. And her friend, who was a Christian, began to share with her about her identity in Christ, her identity from God's perspective. Well, Sarah slowed down, and over a period of months, she began to reflect on what her friend had spoken into her life, and she started focusing more on being than on doing. She also began to confront the things inside of her, in her life, that held her back from being who God designed her to be. Well, for months, she reflected on this and uh, thought about how God had wired her and and the moments in life when she was most alive, when, when she felt like she was really uh, right, right in her game. And she kept coming back to something that she was passionate about, gathering around a table and celebrating others. So Sarah did something. She asked her father to build her a cedar farmhouse-style farm table big enough to seat 20 people. And she placed it, after he built it, he said, sure, I'll do that for you. She placed it under the oak tree in her backyard, and she strung some lights over it. And then using a website called, called Nextdoor, she started inviting people from her neighborhood for dinner parties around the table in her backyard. They came, and they kept coming. Within one year, Sarah had served over 500 people from her neighborhood around her table. Her neighbors loved being at Sarah's table. They loved the good food, the connection that they experienced, the sense that they mattered, and the love that they felt. Well, Sarah said she learned something that year that blew her away. People just want to be invited. She learned that people crave community. Sarah went on to quit her job at St. Jude's Hospital there in Dallas as a charity and fundraising events organizer, and she started her own company called Neighbors Table. She and her dad now build tables for other people who want to pursue a similar mission of creating a space for community in their own backyards. But Sarah still is serving people around her own backyard cedar table. At last count, she had served over 5,000 people around her table. Why do they keep coming? Because Sarah has learned to foster something people crave, genuine community. Why do we as humans crave community? The Bible tells us that we were created in God's image. One reality about God is that he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in an interdependent relationship of perfect community, a community of unadulterated love, a community of complete satisfaction, and a community of unbroken unity. The Trinity has lived in perfect community for all eternity past and will continue in perfect community for all eternity future. 
Because we as humans are made in the image of God, one of our most basic needs is to experience and to participate in community. The Bible tells us that at the pinnacle of his creation, when God made man, he saw something that was not good. Adam was alone. Though Adam and God had enjoyed wonderful, life-giving community with one another, Adam needed something else. He needed community at a human level. The Bible tells us that because of this need, God created Eve for companionship. The most basic purpose of marriage is our need for community, our need for human relationship and companionship. The community experienced in marriage extends to community within the family. The family is another institution where genuine community can be learned and experienced. Children experience community as they are loved, nurtured, trained, and disciplined. Parents, on the other hand, grow in community living as they learn to lay down their self-interest for the good of their children. They experience the satisfaction and intimacy that results from loving unselfishly. Well, the Bible also tells us of another institution that was created for community, the church. The New Testament tells us that the church is the body of Christ. It's made up of Christ followers who together comprise one body, Christ's body. The community God designed to be experienced within the church is intended to provide a preview of the perfect community with God and with one another that we will experience in eternity. God also intends that the community experience within marriage, within the family, and within the church serve as a taste to the world around us of the perfect community experienced by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want the people in our community in Hawkwood and in Ranchlands to taste the love and the community of God through this uh, event that we're planning, uh, hoping to plan for the 28th. Genuine community includes both giving and receiving. Real community involves being aware of, caring for, and meeting the needs of other community members. Because we're fallen creatures, living in community doesn't come naturally for us. We have to be reminded of our responsibilities to one another and the choices we must make for community to thrive. God has provided in his word just such reminders and instructions. They're called the one another. Say that with me, the one another's. You say, what in the world is that, Kent? Well, throughout the New Testament, we're commanded as Christ followers to think and act toward one another in particular ways. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, give preference to one another, show hospitality to one another, pray for one another, don't judge one another, and we could keep going for quite a while. The phrase one another or each other occurs 100 times in the New Testament. 59 of these occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another in the church. If God has that much to say on a topic, it must be important to him and it must be important for us. 
over the next month in our new sermon series called The One and Others, we're going to explore many of these verses as we seek to become more aware of how God intends us to live in community within the body of Christ. To begin our journey today, we're going to focus on a passage that gives us a brief overview of community in the early church. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Penned by Luke, a physician and companion of the Apostle Paul, these verses summarize the life of the early church immediately after the Holy Spirit came to dwell within Jesus' followers on the day of Pentecost. Peter had preached to those who had gathered to check out the commotion that ensued when the Holy Spirit came in power upon Jesus' disciples. 3,000 of those who witnessed the presence of God's Spirit and who heard Peter's message responded by turning from their sins, confessing faith in Jesus as their master, and by being baptized. Luke describes the church soon after this momentous event, and he says this, They, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The early church we read of in this passage experienced community at its best. Their lives had been transformed by the Spirit of God. Well, what did community at its best entail? The first verse in the passage reveals four activities that occupied the attention of the early Christians. The remaining verses in the passage provide additional details about the community that they experienced. The four primary activities engaged in by the first Christians were the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The early Christians weren't casual about these activities. Verse 1 tells us that they were devoted to these pursuits. The Greek word proskotero, translated devoted, means to hold fast to, to continue in, to persevere, or to persist obstinately in something. What exactly were these four activities the early Christians devoted themselves to? Well, first... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, remember I like to ask questions. What did the apostles teach? We know from sermons recorded later in Acts and from their letters that the apostles taught about Jesus. They taught about his death and resurrection. They taught about the kingdom of God that Jesus had announced as present among them. They taught about Christ's lordship. They taught everything that Jesus had taught them. We also know that the apostles taught the scriptures. They used the scriptures to teach about Jesus just as Jesus had done with them. Jesus loved God's word. He knew it. He quoted it. He lived it. Even as Jesus hung on the cross, it was the words of scripture that informed his prayers. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Comes directly from Psalm 22. Throughout the pages of the New Testament, we see the apostles and authors again and again using the words of the Old Testament scriptures to preach and teach Jesus. Well, the believers didn't just listen to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to following and obeying the teachings. They chose to turn from sin and self and to obey the truths and commands they heard and learned. The second thing the first Christians devoted themselves to was the fellowship. The Greek word here is koinonia. This is the only place in the book of Acts this word is used, interestingly enough. Its basic meaning is association, communion, sharing, or close relationship. It denotes a sense of intimacy among the participants. In secular Greek and other places in the scripture, the word sometimes denoted the sharing of goods. The word is also used of communion with a God, especially in the context of a sacred meal. In general, the word reflects the unique sharing that Christians have with God and with one another. The point here is that believers devoted themselves to sharing life together and serving one another. By the way, in our bulletin again today is this uh, yellow insert. It's a listing of service roles here at Hawkwood that are yet unfilled. God is calling every one of us to serve him by serving one another. And you can respond to his call today by completing this form, circling one or more of the service roles that are here, and dropping your completed form at the foyer info desk or give it to Sharon and Mike on your way out. The third thing the first century believers devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. This phrase was a technical expression. I learned this this week, by the way. This phrase was a technical expression for the Jewish custom of a father pronouncing a blessing and breaking and distributing the bread at the beginning of a family meal. But most scholars believe Luke intends the phrase here to refer specifically to the practice of Christians receiving the Lord's Supper together. In the early church, this often happened in conjunction with a fellowship meal observed in the homes of believers. In Acts 27, chapter 20, verse 7, we see that it was apparently the practice of the early church to receive the Lord's Supper weekly and on a Sunday. But regard, regardless of how often it was or it is observed, the Lord's Supper was and remains a significant spiritual activity in the communal life of the church. It was in the breaking of the bread that the eyes of people were and continue to be opened to recognize Jesus. The Lord's Supper remains a significant act that actually connects believers in fellowship, and the early Christians devoted themselves to this practice. Well, what was the fourth thing that they devoted themselves to? It was to prayer. The Greek actually reads, they devoted themselves to the prayers. This term could refer to the set times for daily prayer at the temple, which Luke tells us in several places in Acts that the early Christians did attend. But Luke also records times when the early disciples prayed in homes or other places. In light of these realities, this is likely a broad reference to various kinds of prayers they engaged in, including prayers in their homes. By the way, what is prayer? 
I love a definition that was given by the 4th century expositor, John Chrysostom. He said, prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is you and me talking to God and God talking back to us. It's also God talking to us and you and me responding to him. One of the realities seen in the book of Acts is this. More than anything else, the activity that most regularly characterized the early church was prayer. Luke said that the first believers devoted themselves. They joined together constantly in. They tenaciously persisted in prayer. Well, these four practices, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, revolutionized the first believers' lives. Genuine community was formed. Well, what else characterized community in the early church? Verses 43 to 47 answer that question. In verse 43, we read, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. One of the realities in the early church was a sense of awe and wonder. God was present among his people. One of the ways his presence was evidenced was in signs and wonders. Well, what were these signs and wonders? Luke goes on in the chapters following this passage to describe some of them. In chapter 3, a crippled beggar sitting at the temple gate is physically healed. In chapter 4, verse 30, we see the church praying that God would show his mighty power through healing and wonders. In chapter 5, we see people being healed and delivered from demonic control by Peter and the apostles. In chapter 6, we read that one of the first deacons, Stephen, performed wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Based on similar descriptions elsewhere, we can assume that these wonders included healings and deliverance. In chapter 8, we read that Philip, another deacon in the church, was healing paralytics and cripples, casting out demons and performing other miracles. And the list of ways that God demonstrated his power in and through the church continues through the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament. Did you know when God's people devote themselves to his word, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. And we're talking devote now, devote themselves, to tenaciously cling to, that God shows up. Things happen that can only be attributed to the hand of God. As we discussed two weeks ago in the message on seeking God, God is always present with us. But his presence isn't always manifest to us. We don't always perceive, nor are we always attuned to his presence. While God is always with us, we don't always experience his presence. When we attune ourselves to God's voice, when we submit ourselves to him and respond to him in faith, he promises to act. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When God's people turn to him, he responds with his activity. Sometimes his activity includes displays of supernatural power. Well, in verses 44 to 45, 
we see a continuation of of the description of community in the early church. We read there, now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. These verses describe the generosity and care present among the believers. They were selling their possessions. Some even sold properties to ensure the financial needs of everyone in the church were met. Unlike the modern-day church here in North America, there was no individualistic spirit present. The Christians were in it together for thick and for thin. Scholars tell us that the verb tenses in the Greek indicate property was sold according to need rather than a case of enforced sharing like in communism. It's also worth noting that not all properties were sold or Luke wouldn't have been able to tell us that they continued to meet in homes because the houses would have all been liquidated. I thought that was kind of funny, but uh, an interesting point. They sold what they sold what was needed. If they had extra and there was a need, somebody sold something. They sold they sold their cottage. They some of them might have sold their house and they they moved in with a relative or something. They cared about one another. The important point important point here is that fellowship was not just a touchy feely sentiment for the early Christians. Community touched their wallets. They recognized that everything they possessed belonged to God, and they freely shared their resources with one another. Well, in verse 46 to 47, we see other aspects of the community within the church. We read there, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Early believers went to the temple just as Jesus had done. They tried to remain within the Jewish fold. Paul generally went to the Jewish synagogue first when he visited a new city on his missionary journeys. But Stephen declared that the temple was unnecessary as God now dwelt by his spirit within believers rather than in a building. And soon the church would say that being a Jew was unnecessary to follow Christ. It's worth noting that being Jews that being Jewish is no longer a requirement to please God, that even though that's the case, we do share a similar aspect of corporate worship with the early Christians who went to the temple. We gather together each Sunday to worship God as a large group. God tells us in Hebrews this gathering is important and that we shouldn't be casual about our attendance and gathering together. Well, in these verses, we see another aspect of the community experience in the early church, and that is hospitality. And where was the hospitality practiced? In small groups, in homes. And you thought small groups were a new development in the 20th or 21st century. Nah, the first small groups happened in Jerusalem as Christians gathered in one another's homes for worship and fellowship and discipleship. These verses tell us they took communion together. They ate together, just like Sarah Harmeyer and her neighbors around her table. And they were glad They had fun together, and they did all this with sincere and genuine hearts. They weren't getting together out of duty or obligation. They came together because they couldn't wait to be together, to experience genuine community with God and with each other. Well, what was the result? In verse 47, we see that they were praising God. We see that the early church was filled with God's praises. When Christians come together and experience community, Praising God is the natural result. 
genuine fellowship focuses on God and helps people to remember the good things he's done. This inevitably leads to praise. Such an unselfish and power-packed community life had an effect not just on those inside the church, but also on those outside. The believers won the admiration of outsiders who witnessed what was happening among them. In verse 47, we see that more people regularly chose to follow Christ and join the church. Others who witnessed community in the church wanted in. They wanted to be a part. Remember what Sarah Harmeyer learned? People crave genuine community. Interestingly, Luke never writes that these later conversions took place primarily through the preaching of the apostles, as had happened on the day of Pentecost. The favor that all the believers had among the people would have given them natural opportunity for spiritual conversations with unbelievers. The same kind of conversations we'll learn more about on February 8th at the Spiritual Conversations 2 seminar. Personal witness through word and deed surely added to the impact of healings and public preaching and resulted in comprehensive evangelistic outreach. But verse 47 reminds us that it was the Lord who added to their number. Like Paul, we can plant the seeds. Like Apollos, we can water them. But it's God alone who makes the seeds grow and draws people to his son. As the early church did their part to live in genuine community and to make him known, God did his work. More and more people chose to follow Jesus and the church grew. Well, in the weeks ahead, we're going to further unpack what it means to live in community through the one another passages. But today, God wants us to remember that Christianity requires community living. There can be no lone ranger Christians. If you're singing the tune, it's not going to work. The entire Christian life, including spiritual growth, battling sin and Satan, and serving God are all intended to be done in community. Christianity is by nature a community religion. We don't get together because it's helpful. We get together because we're each a vital part of the body of Christ. The body is incomplete without you and you and you and you and me. And you and you and you and you and me are incomplete without the body. Community is not an option for a Christian. It's an essential component of our faith. Let me, let me ask you a question. What is God saying to you about community this morning? Perhaps you've never taken the step that 3,000 people did on the day of Pentecost. In response to Peter's message, they turned away from sin and self, chose to believe in Jesus, and were baptized to confirm and publicly confess their faith in Jesus. God is inviting you to follow Jesus today and to start living in community. Or perhaps you have taken those initial steps of response to God, but you're attempting to live as one of those lone ranger Christians. Perhaps you have viewed meeting house to house as the early church did as a optional activity. 
you've neglected to devote yourself to community in a small group. Perhaps you've neglected showing hospitality to others in the body by failing to open your home to them. This is a lost art that we, many of us have just forgotten or let drop by the wayside that God's calling us to reinitiate. Perhaps you've missed out on the sense of community gain through serving others in the body of Christ. There are needs right now within our body. Our body cannot thrive unless people step up and say, I want to be a part. I want to experience community here. I want to be a part of supporting the community. Perhaps you've been missing out on the manifestation of God's power and that sense of awe that was there in the early church um, because you refused to humble yourself and receive prayer offered by your brothers and sisters within the church. Perhaps it's something totally different. Whatever God is speaking to you today regarding community, I urge you to respond to his voice. If you do, you can experience the transforming work of the Spirit of God and one of the, deep, and one of the deepest cravings in your soul and in the heart of God can be satisfied. Your need for community and the body of Christ's need for you. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to catch the spirit that Sarah Harmeyer caught as she recognized that so many of the things she was living for were, were futile. They would never bring her satisfaction and fulfillment that what she needed more than anything else was to submit her life to you and to your son, Jesus Christ, to recognize who you had made her to, to be and to begin to love others, to begin to foster community with those who were around her. God, thank you for her example and what it speaks to us. God, we pray that just like the early church, you would teach us how to live in that kind of community, the kind of community where we devote ourselves to your word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, where we see a sense of awe as we respond to you, as we seek you, as we draw near to you, and you draw near to us, and we see your supernatural activity among us. God, to be a, a, a church that's so generous that we, there's not a need that's left among us because it's just met and it comes out of the overflow of our heart. God, that we would be a church that, that shows hospitality to one another and is just filled with praise and that as other people see what you're doing in this place, in this group of people called Hawkwood Baptist Church, they would know that you are real and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for them. And that you want them to be a part of community with you and with us. Father, thank you that this is in your heart. I pray and we pray that you would bring this to pass. In Jesus' name, amen.